welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. My name is Kelly Perry, and I'm just going to talk a little bit about love today. Um, the word love is meaningful to me because of its vastness. There are countless poems and plays and stories and sermons and songs about love. Our whole lives can be summed up in basically two things, whether we've experienced love and whether we've given love. It's a word that bears so much weight as all of life seems to exist for its purpose. Love is deep and wide and incomprehensible at times. Love's depth has become unbelievably real to me because of my baby girl. <laughs> my daughter is like her father. She's always on the move. When we first saw her, she wouldn't stay still, and we laughed as she flipped and flexed, putting on a show for us as we watched the screen in awe. She often keeps me up at night with her wakeful activity, and as I talk to her through my belly in an attempt to calm her down, my love for her grows deep. As soon as I knew her, I loved her. I didn't even have to try. There was no choice in the matter. She was suddenly my pal. And I feel overwhelming and intense love for this little person who I haven't even met yet. And even though I know she'll make mistakes in her life, my love will not be shaken. And not surprisingly, she reminds me of God and his love for us, his kids how he knew me when I was being formed in my own mother's womb, how he looks after me and my husband and our little girl despite our human propensity for hurting others, whether on purpose or by accident. He knows me and my flaws and he loves me. He knows you and he loves you. He doesn't have to try. And love doesn't stop there. Love's width comes from loving those who are different than me or those with whom I might wholly disagree. This form of love is not easy. And it is in the instances of ignoring my own pride and looking into the eyes of another person with grace that the nature of love because becomes somewhat tangible. We love because God first loved us. Because we know that we are beyond reach in our own unlovable nature and yet he finds us where we are and pulls us out of our unlo unloveliness into his marvelous light. This love is forceful in its depth. It changes us into the type of people who can mirror his love and his light, to push beyond the limits that we place on ourselves and find a way to love someone who is so completely unlike ourselves. When I find time to be still and to think about God who is love, I am humbled that he would descend to earth to become one of us, so unlike himself in nature, that he would show us the way of love that he would reveal our value through the love in his eyes and in his hands and feet as he came down to our world and proved his ferocious love through his life and death. I am humbled. To be called a daughter of God, a daughter of love, is incomprehensible. In this season, I hope for love, that I might love my husband and my daughter with a love that never dies, that I might love you even if we discover we act, think, or believe differently than one another. If people are to know that we are children of God by our love, may we live to love in a way that shows off the awesome depth and width and enormity, enormity of him who loved first. Hi, my name is Max. Um, today my piece explores 
love. Um, it uh, explores the concept of love and the imagery of fire, which normally when that imagery is found in scripture, um, most of us don't connect that with the concept of God's love, um, usually the opposite. But an author um, who I love and I would highly recommend reading all of his works if you can, uh, George MacDonald, who is uh, C.S. Lewis's mentor, um, he connects the idea of the imagery of fire in scripture with God's purifying love. So here's a quote by him from one of his unspoken sermons um, titled, The Consuming Fire. Nothing is inexorable but love, for love loves unto purity. Love has ever in the view the absolute loveliness of that which it beholds. Where lovely loveliness is incomplete and love cannot love its fill of loving, it spends itself to make more lovely that, that it may love more. It strives for, for perfection, even that itself may be perfected, not in itself, but in the object. As it was love that first created humanity, so even human love in proportion to its divinity will go on creating the beautiful for its own outpouring. There is nothing eternal but that which loves and can be loved. And love is ever climbing toward the consummation when such shall be the universe imperishable, divine. Therefore, all that is not beautiful in the beloved, all that comes between and is not of love's kind must be destroyed. And our God is a consuming fire. Today, we invite you to celebrate the arrival of love. Well, if you're new, um, we're in week three of an Advent series where we've commissioned artists and writers to create and write about love, about peace, about joy, about hope. And uh, today we're going to discuss and explore uh, this enigma uh, called love. And so um, to start, we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, I want to read uh, a couple of passages, and they'll bookend uh, a song that you're going to hear um, that... I'll warn you, uh, might seem a little uh, stark, but the contrast is certainly uh, intentional. So uh, whatever you need to do to kind of listen well, uh, to lean in, so to speak, uh, I want to invite you to do that. And so um, <clears throat> But now bring these charges against Israel, your mother. For she is no longer my wife, and I am no longer her husband. Tell her to remove the prostitute's makeup from her face and the clothing that exposes her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her as naked as she was on the day she was born. I will leave her to die of thirst, as in a dry and barren wilderness. And I will not love her children for they were conceived in prostitution. Their mother is a shameless prostitute and has become pregnant in a shameful way. She said, I'll run after other lovers and sell myself to them for food and water, for clothing and wool and linen, and for olive oil and drinks. For this reason, I will fence her in with thorn bushes. I will block her path with a wall to make her lose her way. When she runs after her lovers, she will not be able to catch them. She will search for them, but she will not find them. 
Then she will think I might as well return to my husband, for I was better off with him than I am now. She doesn't realize it was I who gave her everything she has, the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, even the silver and gold.
herself to me there as she did long ago when she was young and when I freed her from her captivity in Egypt when that day comes says the Lord you will call me my husband instead of my master O Israel I will wipe the many names of Baal from your lips and you will never mention them again on that day I will make a covenant with all the wild animals and the birds of the sky and the animals that scurry along the ground and so they will not harm you I will remove all the weapons of war from the land. All the swords and the bows. So that you can live unafraid in peace and in safety. I will make you my wife forever. Showing you righteousness and justice. Unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and you and make you mine. And you will finally know me as the Lord. In that day I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer the sky as it pleads for clouds. And the sky will answer to the earth with rain. There will be earth. There will, then, then the earth will answer the thirsty cries of the grain and the grapevine and the olive trees. And they in turn will answer Jezreel, God plants. At that time I will plant a crop of Israelites and will raise them for myself. And I will show love to those I called not loved. And to those I called not my people, I will say now, you are my people. And they will reply, you are our God. In a week where uh, it's been hard to fathom what love looks like, uh, we want to just take a few moments of silence uh, in solidarity uh, with those who may not be able to say anything um, to God right now. So if you would join me. God, I confess that it's, uh, it's been really hard to think about this teaching in this week uh, 
with the things that we have seen and we have heard. And no words can explain, no uh, comfort can be given. And so we sit with the reality that this is not how it should be. And that these kids deserve more. And we hope and we believe and we trust that one day uh, all will be made right and that love will win. So God, give courage and hope and peace um, to us, to families that need it, to brothers and sisters. To moms and dads, Pray this in your name, and by the power of your spirit. Amen. If you have your Bible, uh, we're going to look in the book of Hosea. Um. <clears throat> I heard a wise man once say that the source of our, of our life's greatest hurt and our life's greatest pains come from relationships. And ironically, our greatest healing and our greatest hope come from relationships. And so we're a bit shipwrecked on love, are we not? Uh, we need it. We were created for it. We long for it. We want it. And yet we hate it. We loathe it. We despise it. And yet it remains a well that we must drink from. That in a week like this, uh, it's all there is. It's all that matters. It's all that we have. Um, C.S. Lewis says, There is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love, is hell. In this third week of Advent, we anticipate uh, the coming of Jesus, and we want to explore this concept of love, which is a bit like asking a preacher to preach a sermon about the meaning of life, you know, no small task. Uh, this enigma, this, this word that is so big, because love isn't really a thing, is it? When we start to... Uh, Max uh, came and... and created this for us, but before he came, it was empty, and I thought, you know, that's an interesting kind of look, like, what if we just left it empty? Because love's not a thing, but love, rather, Peter Rollins says, it's, it's the thing that makes everything else a thing. 
love, he goes on to say, he says, this is what love does. It doesn't make itself visible, but rather makes others visible to us. Love doesn't exist, but calls others into existence. For to exist means to stand forth from the background, to be brought into the foreground. Love does not stand forth, but brings others forth. When we love our beloved, is brought out of the vast undulating sea of others, as the Torah speaks of God, calling forth beings from the formless ferment of being, so love calls our beloved from the endless ocean of undifferentiated objects. So, what do you do when you have to preach about love? I, safe to say, I, I haven't given any of my kids the bird this week, so I feel like I'm qualified to preach on love. I've worked really hard to... Uh, uh, <laughs> be one who is worthy to stand here. Um, but, uh, you know, as a pastor, I have the unique advantage of, of being able to teach and talk about the things that I've always been interested in. And this book of Hosea is one of those things. It's always been one that interested me. It's such a fascinating story and such a fascinating book. And so when we were talking about love, I thought, you know, this one, uh, let's, let's go ahead and do this. And so I want to explore a couple of passages from the book of Hosea as we talk about love this morning. So if you have your Bibles turned there, uh, it's a tricky little book to find. It's right after Daniel in the Old Testament, uh, after Psalms and Proverbs. So I want to read a couple of passages. This is from verse, uh, and, and it's, a, I think, 13 chapters long, so we can't you know, do the whole book in one day, but I want to pick out a couple of things. So chapter 1 says this, The word of the Lord came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, Jeroboam son of Jehoash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. And so he married Gomer, daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now the story goes on, and uh, Gomer gives Hosea three children that are mentioned. The first is Jezreel, which is actually the site of a place where a king, Jehu, uh, previously attacked and sort of through crimes of war and all kinds of horrible things, took over Israel. Uh, so the first child is named Jezreel. The second one is named Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved. This was, uh, according to scholars, the first child born out of this promiscuous relationships that Hose or Gomer ends up chasing after. And then the, the, the last one is named Lo-Ami, which means not my people, which again, another child born out of this relationship or relationships. So skip to chapter 3, and this is where I want to focus our time this morning. So God says to Hosea, go, uh, go and marry a prostitute, essentially. Uh, and then in, in chapter 3, um, God says, The Lord said to me, go show love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites though they turn to other gods and they love the sacred raisin cakes. That one's always hilarious. Like, what, what is in these raisin cakes? I was just reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It must be like Turkish Delight. It must be. Uh, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about an omer and a lethic of barley. And I told her, you are to live with me many days and you must not prostitute or be intimate with any man and I will behave the same toward you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek their God and David their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and, blessing, and, be, and to his blessing in the last days. So the rest of this book of Hosea is basically a conversation between Hosea the prophet and Israel, the nation, uh, which is, is sort of 
a mirror or a, a macrocosm of the relationship that we see in Hosea and in Gomer. Um, and certainly what remains in this little microcosm of Hosea and Gomer is this symbol, this picture, this window into the love of God for Israel, the love of God for humanity. And so as we anticipate Christmas, as we look at uh, experience Advent, I want to look at the, this first section of chapter 3 and ask the question, what do we see or hear or learn about the love of God from Hosea, from this little story about this person and this person? What do we see, hear, experience, and learn about the love of God from Hosea and Gomer? And I don't normally do this. I, in fact, it's, it's, I can't remember the last time I did, but the, the thoughts or things that, I've, that I want to share with you this morning all happen to begin with the letter R. So this version of Awaken is brought to you by the letter R, right? <clears throat> That's Sesame Street, in case it's been that long for you. Um, every, you know, youth pastor does the whole, you know, at least it's not an alliteration, you know, like, you know, so the first R, I feel like such a dork doing this, but <laughs> verse one, verse one says this, and I just find this fascinating. Verse one says, go and show your, go and show your love to your wife again though she is loved by another man. I want to say that the love of God, as we see it in Hosea and Gomer, is relentless. God says to Hosea, listen, you've already done this. You have already asked this woman to marry you, and that has happened, and you've had children with this woman, and now this woman has run off with another man, and what I'm asking you to do is go back and love her again, show your love to her. We find in chapter 2 that Gomer is chasing after things that in the end don't satisfy if you were wondering where is, I'm hoping you're making the connection with the song that we chose to, to have been um, played, but we find her chasing after things that don't satisfy. Verse 5 of chapter 2 says, I will go after my lovers who give me food and water and wool and linen and olive oil and my drink. She's chasing after things that in the end don't satisfy. Some of you know I like to fish. Uh, I actually just met some folks, uh, they live in Royalton, which is a great place to fish for smallmouth in case you want to know. Uh, I love to fish, and, and often I get this hankering, like this, this thing like deep inside of me, and I just, man, I want to, like, it's usually in the fall when the big walleyes can be caught, or in the spring when they're coming up this river right over here. This is actually where I spend a lot of my time, on the Mississippi. So in the fall or the spring, I get this hankering, and I'm like, ah, I, I got to get out, I got to, and, and if you know anything about fishing, it doesn't, it doesn't happen very quickly. It's like a th at least a three-hour endeavor anytime I go out, and so I have these three small children and a wife, and it's hard to get out uh, with, you know, the demands of life and my responsibilities and the things that I have said are my priority. Every now and again, uh, I get this, like, itch, and I'm like, I, honey, please, can I go? Uh, like, can we make it work? And uh, not like, you know, she's the gatekeeper. Yes, you may go. No, you may not. That's not what I'm saying. But, you know, you got to clear, you know, clear with the, the flight deck and everything. And, can, you know, I really got, I really want to go. And I tell you what, there have been a number of occasions when I have had this, like, oh, I, I, I want to catch a wall, a really big walleye, so bad, and I know it's out there, and I'm chasing the 30-inch walleye, the elusive 30-inch walleye, and I haven't caught it yet, and I'm just like, ah, and I get out there, and I turn on, you know, the, when the boat works, it's broken right now, but, you know, you know <laughs> go to my spot, and I start fishing, and then it dawns on me that this isn't actually what I want, and what I really want I already had. Have you ever been in that situation? Where you think, you think like it's deep inside of you and this passion grows within you and it's like, I want that, whatever it is. And then you get there 
and you find that it's not actually what you wanted. And I can't tell you the number of times I have been alone in my boat in the dark on the Mississippi River thinking, what am I doing here? Like what I wanted is 25 minutes in the other direction. Why do we do this? Where we, want, we, we think we want what we don't have. And here we find Hosea and Gomer. And Gomer, she says, Look, I will go to my lovers and they will give me food and water and wool and linen and olive oil and my drink. And we find out that in fact it's not these things or these people that give her those things. But it's this relationship she already has. Regardless of what has happened and what she has done, Hosea is asked to love his wife again. Even in the midst of this pursuit of the thing that we think we want that isn't the thing that we actually want. And I, th I think that we would be on safe ground to say that in this we see the heart of God. That God is relentless regardless of how many times we think what we want is the thing we don't have. And we chase after it only to find that it's not what we want. Fill in the blank, right? I mean, it's different for all of us. We've all got our thing. Over and over, regardless of how many times we find ourselves in that place where I'm alone and on the river in the dark thinking, this isn't what I wanted. Our oldest daughter uh, is unbelievably relentless. Uh, if you know Hadley, she is uh, such a beautiful mind. And sometimes she gets something in that little mind of hers and she just cannot let it go. So whether it's like, you know, a, a chocolate dipped spoon with, uh, you know, marshmallows on it that we're going to do, you know, hot chocolate with, like if it gets in her head, it's like a virus and it just takes over. And it's like, until we get that thing, until I get that thing, it's just like, focus, focus, focus. Like nothing can dissuade me. I will not be dissuaded. I will not be, or I would not be, you know, uh, uh, you can't negotiate with me. I want this thing. And often, I mean, that has been, you know, the source of great pain and difficulty in our household, you know, because it's like, sweetheart, you can't have it, you know, or whatever. But I have watched her and how something gets in her little heart and she just cannot let it go. And I would suggest that you are an idea that has gotten into the mind of God that God just cannot let go will not let go. This is what love does. It is relentless. Verse 2 says, And so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about an omer and a lethic of barley. God's love is absolutely redemptive. The, the word redeem is so fascinating to me because it takes on so many, I looked it up and there's a bunch of different you know, uh, definitions of it, but the first one that comes up to buy back. Isn't that interesting? To buy back or to get or win back. Chapter 3, while it's not explicit, gives us this window into the situation. Question, why would Hosea need to buy back Gomer? She's in slavery. Whatever choices she has made along the way, whatever desire that she's been chasing... And the, whatever way in which she's tried to fill that has landed her in a place where she's enslaved. And so Hosea has to actually purchase her back from whoever or whatever has enslaved her. And as I, as I think about this, like, what is it? 
What is it in us that causes us to make decisions and choices that land us in places like this, where we're enslaved to something or someone? And I want to suggest to think Genesis 3. If we go back in the story to Genesis chapter 3, what do we find the serpent saying to Adam and Eve? Did God really say that? Is that really what God said? And, and if you do this, then you, you know what will happen. You'll be like God, and God doesn't want that. And so we have these two things going on here that I would call trust and security. What is it in us that lands us in places where we're enslaved to something? And though this story is 2,000 years old, and it's very old, I think that as the Bible often does, it reads us. Because for Hosea and Gomer, we could extrapolate, we could sort of read into the story that what finds her there is a lack of trust and an, and an insecurity in the relationship that she's in. And this is exactly what we see in Genesis chapter 3, where the first humans have this question of, did God really say that? Like, can you trust whatever that being said? Does, does, that be, does God really have your best interest at heart? Does God really want the best for you? And I would propose that the question still stands for you and for I today. What do we believe about God? And how do we know? At which point Christmas becomes all the more important, I would argue. And are we secure being creatures who are created, who don't rule the world, who don't have the final say, who don't get to do whatever they want because that's freedom? But are we secure in the kind of relationship that's talked about where we are creatures created by a God who has created a world in which we live and move and have our being, and there's a way in which that's to be done? Or do we go looking for whatever it is we think will satisfy us? Did God really say that? At the end of this little section in chapter 3, we find God saying, you are to live, or Hosea saying to Gomer, you are to live with me many days, and you must not prostitute, be a prostitute, or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same towards you. Uh, I want to suggest that God's love is restorative. And when I first read this passage, this particular one, you are to live with me many days, and you must not prostitute, or be, and this is how I read it, right? Like we have somebody, you can see the finger, like it felt very paternal, like, listen, this is how it's going to be, and this is the way it's going to go down, and this is what, how you're going to act. And as I read it, I was like, ah, I don't like that. And then I started sitting with it a little bit more, and I, and I thought, what if you read it differently than that? What if it's not, you will do this, but listen, you will not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, nor will I be with you. Do you catch that? This is what Hosea says to Gomer. You, you will not be this person, nor will I be intimate with you. I think sometimes we, we, we forget or we think that love just kind of sweeps things under the rug. And when love is at, when love is at bay, when love is available, it's kind of like everything's okay. 
And I think that's a misread, and I think it's a, it's a misunderstanding of what love does. And I want to suggest that love is restorative in the sense that love always creates space for restoration. Why does Hosea say that to Gomer? Think about it. Think about the story. If, if this is true, and this is real, and this is a person, Hosea and Gomer married. He marries a prostitute. Think about this. Why would he say that to her? The question I think that's being asked is, what does it mean for Goma to, Gomer to have a healthy view of herself and her body without being sexually active? Whatever she's chasing after, she's using sex and her body to get it in the story. And I think the question that's being asked is, what does it mean for this person to have a healthy view of themselves and be in proper relationship with those around them and the God that made them without this being on the table? And so for Hosea, he says, listen, this is not wise. This, this road does not lead to life. And so, nor will I be a part of, or until we get, until we, we make that move where we begin to build something that's restorative, nor will I participate in that with you. I think it's actually quite graceful and filled with honesty and otherness that Hosea says this to Gomer. At least that's how I read it. And I want to suggest that God, the love of God and love, always creates space for restoration. Friends, um, as we move close to Christmas and as we experience this season of Advent and we see this story of Hosea and Gomer, I want to suggest that we see the pure and unadulterated love and heart of God. And it's a love that is absolutely relentless, that it does not give up, that it redeems and buys back even when we chase whatever it is that we think will satisfy and find out it doesn't. And that it's one that's restorative. It always creates space for restoration. It doesn't mean that we can do whatever we want and it doesn't mean that the people in our lives get to do whatever they want without consequence. The choices we make matter. But love always creates space for restoration. And so I would ask you this morning, what does it mean for you to not give up in a relationship or on a relationship? Whether that's a spouse or whether that's somebody at work or whether that's somebody in your family. But to be relentless. To pursue. What does it mean for you to go the extra mile, even if it costs you your time, your money, your energy, to be the one who's at least maybe attempting to redeem. What does it mean for you to create space in your own heart for restoration? And I know that this is not easy, and what I'm, what I'm suggesting is something that on my worst days, I walk away from or I give the bird to, because I, it's hard. But this is love, is it not? It's the thing that in the midst of unbelievable atrocity and tragedy remains. And in the midst of the things that we experience in our lives and in this world, somehow always manages to rise to the top. And in the end, uh, in Jesus, 
in the life, death, and resurrection, we see on display love. And so, as Max said, we invite you to experience love. God, as we think and ponder and wonder about this thing called love, which is so unbelievably life-giving and beautiful and at the same time so hard sometimes. God, I pray that you would remind us that you are love, that you are light, but that you are love and that in you we see and experience and have access to a source and a well that is deep and life-giving. And so, God, may we today come to it and drink from it and be people who give it away freely, relentlessly pursue and chase and offer it to the world. We pray this in your name. Amen. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.